for tuned to listener-sponsored non-commercial WBAI in New York City, 99.5 FM, streaming at WBAI.org. Time now for Talk Out of School. Your host this evening, Daniel Alisea. out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study them hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell Now back to talk out of school Give me your I say yo Hello to the Tribe of Love, listening to today's broadcast of Talk Out of School. Bienvenidos a todos, bienvenidos mi familia. Welcome my family, WBAI listeners. My name is Daniel Alicea. My pronouns are he and his, and I am the proud son of Manny and Alma. And I welcome you today to another episode of Talk Out of School. I'm coming to you once more from WBAI listener-sponsored, locally controlled, non-commercial radio in New York City, We are found on 99.5 FM on your radio dial. This is a Pacifica radio station, and we are also being live-streamed on WBAI.org. At Talk Out of School, we focus on the issues affecting public schools and public education here in New York City, on the state level, and nationally. And if you would like to download a podcast of this episode later, you can find us on the WBAI archives or on Apple or Spotify. What a great show we have lined up for you today. I will be interviewing the incomparable Michael Schulman. He was an English teacher for 36 years in New York City schools. He was also a UFT chapter leader and then became what arguably might be the most influential and significant leader of dissent within the United Federation of Teachers. In 1985, he accomplished what no other opposition leader had thought imaginable. He was elected vice president of the UFT in a union that till this day has been controlled by Albert Shanker's Unity Caucus. He is a founder of the New Action Caucus, which is the oldest opposition caucus in the UFT. It was founded in the mid-80s and is still active today. Michael is a co-chair of the New Action UFT Caucus presently. He is truly an icon in UFT political lore. I also speak to PTA president of Waterside School for Leadership in Far Rockaway, Estelle Durancy. Parents from her school and another school in Brooklyn, a teacher and the United Federation of Teachers on Tuesday filed a lawsuit in Manhattan State Supreme Court charging that the New York City Department of Education violated state education law and its own regulations when it sought to co-locate two success academy charter schools into Queens and Brooklyn public schools without providing an in-depth analysis of how these co-locations would affect the students already in those public schools. We'll speak about her school community's fight against the charter attempt to co-locate in her family's school. I'm on the line with Michael Schulman. He is a retired educator taught in New York City schools for 36 years. He is also a longtime UFT leader and union activist, arguably the most significant 
leader of dissent within the United Federation of Teachers and also the founder and co-chair of the New Action Caucus, the oldest caucus within the United Federation of Teachers that is an opposition caucus. Welcome, Michael Schulman, to Talk Out of School. Thank you, Daniel. So, Mike, I know that you are a born and raised Brooklynite um, product of New York City schools. Yes. Let's kind of segue to your decision to become a New York City public school teacher and your decision to get involved in union activism within the UFT. What made you become a teacher? What got you involved in union activism? Well, the first part, I, I, uh, it was, it was easy for me. I really enjoyed working with young people. I, uh, thought that I could make a big difference uh, because of my empathy, because of my understanding of the uh, conditions they grew up uh, with, uh, the conditions I grew up with. So I was uh, anxious to give back and, and, and just engage with young people. In terms of my union activism, it was it was pretty simple. In 1970, when I started teaching, what they called uh, permanent subs. I didn't have an appointment, so I was working as a substitute regular program, same kids every day. And I discovered that I did not have health care coverage. And I was kind of shocked because I was working alongside colleagues doing the same job, the same expectations. And uh, I filed a grievance. I was not oriented that way uh, to, you know, to 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 fight immediately over a, an issue like that. But I was so offended that I wasn't covered. And so I filed a grievance. And at the grievance hearing, my union never showed up. And I said, this is unacceptable. And I have to change. If this is the way they behave, then I'm going to, uh, and, and by the way, people did win coverage uh, shortly after then. So, so I was made whole, but n- uh, nothing to do with the uh, effort that my union made. And I, I realized that uh, this was, uh, as I said, unacceptable. I got involved, and uh, I wait. It's interesting. I waited to till. Uh, 1973, because I was always also very aware that union activists who put themselves out there could get uh, get their heads chopped off. So I decided to wait till I had tenure. And in 1973, I ran as a delegate uh, at uh, Bushwick High School and was elected. And from that moment on, I served in this union. And so as a delegate, were you, um, did you become a chapter leader? What got you involved in, within the UFT, there is a, a caucus that uh, we call Unity Caucus. It is Albert Shanker's Unity Caucus that has held control of the United Federation of Teachers for over 60 years. So did you immediately get involved with the Unity Caucus or what, what, where did you gravitate and, and why did you do that? Okay. Well, in, in 1970, I was uh, drawn into activity around the war in Vietnam. And there was a group in the UFT called Teachers Against the War in Vietnam. I gravitated to that group. Many of the people coming out of that uh, group were uh, also members of a caucus at that time called the Teacher Action Caucus, TAC. Uh, so that was where my 
pull was. I like the fact they opposed the war. Albert Shanker at that time, you know, if you recall, or I just want to mention that uh, Shanker declared himself a hawk on the war in Vietnam. So I could not join a caucus that was antithetical to uh, my beliefs that the war was wrong. It should be opposed. And I joined, uh, you know, tens of thousands of uh, New Yorkers in the streets of New York and in Washington opposed to the war in Vietnam. So it was it was kind of natural for me. The war was really the what what had my political interest. I was not a political person before then. I didn't come from a family that was political. But um, that was the impetus to get involved with that particular group, the Teachers Action Caucus. And so by the mid-1980s, I believe you start the New Action Caucus with along with others. Can you talk a little bit about the trajectory that helped you become the first leader within the UFT from an opposition caucus to be elected an officer, vice president of high schools within the UFT? I'll kind of sum it up because there's... There's a lot of detail, but um, in nineteen in the early 1980s, uh, groups there were other groups besides new uh, new action. As a matter of fact, at that time, there was a group called New Directions. There was a group called the Coalition of School Workers, uh, and that those groups, including my own, the Teacher Action Caucus. Um, united around a uh, coalition it was called the new action coalition much as uh in in our recent elections uh groups that were active in the union coalesced around united for change uh very similar uh so we we uh pulled together in 1983 a coalition and um uh two years later I was elected uh, vice president of the academic high schools. So it was it was very significant. It was the first time an opposition person had won a seat uh, in the leadership body. Uh, they called ADCOM, the administrative committee of the uh, union. So I served in there for uh, a year and a half. Of course, there's a history to that uh, Shanker and the Unity Caucus refused to seat me. It was a challenge. Uh, guy I defeated was George Altamari, first vice president of the high schools, New York City. And um, Altamari's claim was that uh, I lied in campaign uh, election material. I said that he had been out of the class. The, 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 the lie was that I said, he was out of the classroom for so long, he forgot what it was to be a teacher in New York City. That was the lie, and that was what um, uh, the uh, the uh, challenge was. So we went to a second election. It was pulling the coalition deep into debt, legal fees. I decided to go to another election, and uh, we won that more handily. And so even after that, uh, some changes were made. So that wouldn't happen again among uh, leadership. Can you speak to us about your tenure during uh, this time as vice president? Um, what are some lessons you learned? And tell us a little bit about how 
UFT leadership dealt with having someone of dissent uh, within its its leadership? There was clearly an effort to isolate me, blo- uh, block me out from uh, any sort of publicity. They refused to allow me to have a um, secretary of my own choosing. I had to have somebody that uh, that uh, that they selected, that Sandra Feldman selected. She was the president at that time. Al had retired just during that period of the election challenge. And the other thing that was significant is that uh, Sandra Feldman refused to allow me to uh, publish a newsletter, which had traditionally been published by George Altamari uh, for years uh, preceding my becoming vice president. And I fought that. I did not accept that. I issued my own newsletter with my own editor and distributed it to uh, the high schools throughout New York City at my own expense. And uh, Feldman recanted and said that I could, in fact, uh, use the official channels. So that was uh, the first major fight that I had um, with her. So that had to be really hard to effectuate change almost uh, by yourself as within such a large group. Can you tell us about the constitutional amendment or there was some type of change um, to the adcoms to kind of prevent another opposition leader uh, to be elected as you, as you were? It was a major change. It started in January 1994. Feldman in a letter put out to the entire membership, not just the high schools, put out a statement. I think it was a three-page statement with her rationale why she was changing the UFT constitution to allow divisional vice presidents to be elected at large, meaning that an elementary uh, teacher would now determine who would be the intermediate vice president, be the high school vice president. And that would be true for other categories. Paraprofessionals would now determine who the representative of teachers in the high schools would be. Uh, representatives of the intermediate school would be representatives of the elementary. So all divisional vice presidents were now elected by the membership as a whole. And and by the way, Daniel, it's very instructive that in the last several elections, the uh, individuals, James E. Turner, Jonathan Hollaby, were uh, received the majority of votes in UFT citywide elections and were not seated as vice president because they didn't win the vote of the other categories. So it was a major undemocratic move uh, done precisely to prevent any opposition. And that's clear through this uh, to this day. Uh, it's true in the last election that the UFT held. So this was a, 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 a really a uh, undermining of the intent of the um, of the positions, and they did it because it's interesting because the um, the high school members elected to the executive board were all elected off of opposition slates. They didn't change the way executive boards were elected executive board members, excuse me, were elected. 
So uh, this was in, uh, directly intended to keep me from uh, becoming vice president and subsequently uh, other opposition leaders. Tell us a little bit about your tenure at 52. What did you learn about just being an officer? And I, it, am I right in understanding that you refused a, a, a pension as a result? Well, yes, that was very early in my tenure. Uh, I wasn't asked, I stated, because I knew that officers and uh, full-time workers at uh, the UFT were paid uh, a double pension. They still are today. It's um, it's really disgraceful. But I I don't remember, Daniel, if it was at the first, the second meeting of ADCOM. ADCOM met once a week. It was Monday morning. The 13 officers of the union met. At that time, it was 12. They met and policies were decided, uh, what was coming before the delegates, etc. And I uh, I made a statement up front. I said, I understand that officers receive a double pension, second pension. I refuse to accept it. And I wanted that on the record, for the record. And I was told that uh, Mike, and this is, I think, almost verbatim, what's wrong with union leaders being in the vanguard of the union, meaning getting uh, second pensions? At that time, it was interesting because I said, come back and talk to me when you've won pensionability for people who are doing other work after their regular work day. And of course, as you know, uh, that came to fruition uh, many years later when those years of uh, extra service uh, are are now compensated in terms of pensions and factored into to pensions. But at that time, they weren't. And I was very offended by that and said that I would not. But But, you know, you asked the question, what did I learn? Uh, I learned, I, I think that the leadership was very out of touch with what the membership was experiencing in their day-to-day lives. And that was the most profound thing to me. Uh, a second thing that occurred almost immediately, I, I think it was also the first or second meeting of, the, uh, of my tenure as VP, uh, Sandra Feldman turned to me. I remember she was sitting two seats away from me and said, Mike, what is this, these postcards I'm receiving calling for the divestment of pension funds from companies doing business with the Republic of South Africa? And I said, Sandy, join the rest of the labor movement and uh and, and join the leadership that is now opposing this racist apartheid regime in South Africa and I'm part of that movement I will be part of it until we are successful and that kind of made me realize also this was a major movement back in the 1980s major movement uh, matter of fact, I see that the gentleman who started the uh, anti-apartheid movement, I saw his obituary in the newspapers last week. But 
uh, that aside, um, that made me realize also that there had to be a combining of both the fight for improved working conditions and salaries and the fight for around the social justice program. And I, I still, to me, that, that serves me very well as a, a, a guidepost. Uh, yes, certainly working conditions have to be up front and center. But there also has to be a perspective by any union that they uh, they are a social justice and they're not detached from what the students and their parents and the communities are experiencing. So today we would be in the uh, forefront of the fight against um, police violence. Uh, matter of fact, we did. I'm very pleased that as an opposition leader, uh, the New Action Caucus started the fight against stop and frisk under Bloomberg. And as you're aware, our union did call a major uh, rally under uh, Randy Weingarten against stop and frisk, which put an end to that policy. So from uh, Sean Bell, uh, Trayvon Martin, all of those issues have also been uh, very high on the agenda of new action. And I believe many uh, uh, of the opposition groups today uh, see social justice as a major, uh, major fight. You're listening to Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming on WBAI.org. So let's segue to, to the 2000s. New Action Caucus has been on the forefront of opposition for, for many, many years. And in the 2000s, New Action Caucus decided to make an alliance with Unity. Um, I believe Randy Weingarten was the president at that time. In hindsight, was that a good decision? How long did that alliance uh, last? It was a four-year alliance. And the background to you, you asked the question, I'm going to ask, answer you very directly. I still believe it was a correct decision. Uh, it caused a lot of dissent within our caucus. I don't know how much it caused, what the, what the, I'll call it damage it did to our caucuses, uh, the respect that, uh, members had for, I, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to know, but it was in the context of the, uh, the rise of Mike Bloomberg as mayor. And it was in the context of uh, Giuliani saying he would be he would blow up the uh, uh, the board of education, and Bloomberg, who pretty much decided to decimate the large high schools in New York City, breaking them up. Uh, uh, a guy like uh, Bloomberg, who decided to uh, change the way funding was, uh, done in New York City schools. By the way, that's a, that's a major issue, uh, still has ramifications today. Bloomberg went from funding, uh, the teacher pool centrally to giving the authority to principals, uh, to hire. And what that caused was a major, anybody in the system then knows that the harassment against uh, veteran teachers was fierce. And the idea being, uh, get rid of a, uh, a veteran teacher and you can hire two new teachers. And that 
uh, has implications to today as well. It's not just uh, so. That was the rationale behind it. We had somebody who uh, Giuliani and then Bloomberg who wanted to uh, destroy the uh, unionization and uh, by bringing up the large high schools, they clearly went after the uh, the most militant sector of uh, our union. And I would say public education in general. I mean, yes, nothing like the absolutely right. We are still feeling the the after effect of, of Bloomberg in New York City schools. Absolutely. So that was the basis of it. Um, we formed a number of committees at, in exchange for them. We ran our own slate. We did not come under Unity Caucus, but we supported the uh, Weingarten as the presidential candidate. But also, Daniel, it's important to note that as a condition for um, – uh, for that support. Uh, and it, it definitely did hurt. I, I mean, I'm glad you raised it because it was a, a, a major factor in the rise, I think, of other caucuses. But in exchange, she agreed to set up four committees. One was the committee to, uh, to combat abusive administrators. One was a committee, we called it the Action Committee, to uh, rank and filers, uh, there weren't 500 like there are now. It was a real bipartisan committee to uh, unfold fight around contracts and to uh, uh, to not only formulate contract proposals but the fight for a contract. Um, and, uh, we did that. That's another story, but we did that in 2000 when, when New Action organized hundreds of chapters around the city to go out, uh, and informational picketing, uh, for salary parity. And eventually that became a priority, but it took many years to get to that, that, that recognition that uh, New York City educators were paid less than uh, surrounding districts. Um, so that was the second uh, committee. Third committee was a, um, I mentioned the abusive administrator, which, by the way, led to a uh, penny campaign, Principles in Need of Improvement, uh, that went after the two to 300 abusive administrators in New York City. That program has long been uh, dropped by Unity Caucus. And that's too bad. Uh, excuse me? And that's too bad. I, 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 there needs yes. to be some more accountability on, on them. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, then uh, the third group was, to me, very important. They, were, they, all, they all were important, but was an organizing committee. It sent teams of veteran uh, teachers, retired, into schools to help build chapters, morale, uh, practical questions, uh, chapter strength. Uh, and that organizing committee was uh, at one point involved in 200, over 260 schools in New York City were getting visited by teams of uh, of retirees 
comprised, by the way, of uh, Unity Caucus members, New Action members, and independents. We made sure anyone who was an independent who wanted to work in a union, which is so contrary to today, where the only people who get jobs working for the unions are members of Unity Caucus. The fourth committee, which was very important, I'm going to chuckle when I mention it, was a committee to look at um, union democracy. And that one, Weingarten came back and said, she could not institute a committee to look at union democracy because, according to her, her caucus, Unity Caucus, would not agree to it. But with the three committees I mentioned, we move forward organizing action and um, uh, going after abusive administrators. That she did put in place. We felt it was significant for the people in um, in uh, the schools. It's very interesting. When we finally broke with, uh, with supporting uh, uh, the unity candidate for president, we did with Mike uh, Mulgrew as well for one election cycle. Uh, we did so because we began to see that um, uh, the union was not, uh, as committed as it was to to uh, addressing the working conditions of teachers, and when that happened, we made a decision to uh, to break, run our own full slate, including a presidential candidate. But during all of those uh, years, and there were four or five years of that relationship, uh, we always ran a full slate. We always had hundreds of uh, rank-and-file teachers, social workers, guidance counselors, paraprofessionals who ran with us on our slate. So clearly they believe that 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 relationship uh, worked for the members in the schools, and we ran with hundreds of, of people. Not one person Daniel hired to work in this union is a member of any other caucus other than Unity Caucus. That pulls hundreds of members to support them no matter what. And you take a look at this fiasco, this disaster of uh, the move to go to privatized health care. And you can see that Unity Caucus lines up. Nobody has a problem with that. Imagine a union leader proposing that a uh, uh, an issue as important as healthcare become privatized. What would the membership of the United Federation of Teachers do if Mulgrew got up on stage and similarly said, "You know what, guys? I think if we privatized our public schools, it would be the best for the children in New York City and the people who work in the system." So, so to call for privatization, and Unity Caucus is okay with it. They're down with it. And I think that says more in uh, 2021, 2022, 2023, than anything that we could discuss about Unity Caucus. So in your opinion, in 2023, I love my union. Um, I think we have some strengths, we have some weaknesses, 
what is our biggest strength in your opinion as the United Federation of Teachers and what is a weakness that we need to improve on? Well, it's interesting. Uh, this week, this past week, I was invited along with uh, um, one of the co-chairs of New Action, Greg DiStefano, to speak at a middle school in Staten Island, on Staten Island. And some people voice, raise the issue, should we withdraw our uh, COPE money? Should we withdraw our uh, dues from the union? And we gave an emphatic no, we do not support that. Because we, too, come at this from a love for our union. Otherwise, we I would have left in 1971 when I was denied that health care. Uh, so I would have left then. My answer would have been, the hell with this union. If this is the way a member gets treated, then I don't want a part of it. I didn't. I stayed and I'm still fighting today for a better union, a more responsive union. I believe in unionism. Without the union, we are literally uh, helpless. So I agree with you. I, I, uh, I identify with that sentiment. I feel it fundamentally. We have to fight for a better union, a more responsive union. Uh, and, and that's what I'm committed to doing. It's, that's my life's work. I think we have to uh, be sure that we're into the schools. We get our our, our uh, district reps. I'm not saying they don't go into schools, but they come into schools not with spinning the uh, leadership line, but they come in listening. They come in asking the membership, "What is it that?" Look, we we a perfect example. Uh, Several years ago, a teacher began a petition campaign for maternity leave. Can you imagine having to having to employ your union to fight for maternity leave? So that's the so that's what I mean when I say unresponsive. You don't have your ears to the ground and hear that. Uh, uh, women who make up the majority of the sta- uh, of the educators in New York City, we should be fighting for this. So these are the kind of things. Since I started teaching, one of the big demands was lower, smaller class size. That was a major fight in the union. The union didn't even pose that as a priority demand in negotiations. Since 1970, since I started, no change in class size. Well, there was uh, there was in the elementary level um, uh, many years back. There was uh, a, a reduced number of uh, uh, children in the elementary schools. But that's what I mean by unresponsive class size. No change in 50 years, maternity, no change in all of those years that I... That's what I mean by being responsive. The union must do that. They have to send people into schools and say, what are you guys, what's priority on your minds? What do you need to see changed? And I think we have to put an end, not I think, we have to put an end to the uh, idea which which has been true since I started teaching 
that uh, union leadership always said, do you want salary increases or do you want smaller class size? No, we want both. We want wages that keep up with inflation, at least keep up with inflation. We have to have smaller class size. You know, in this whole fight around charter schools, the union is now beginning to, to, to realize the importance of it. And I say beginning because uh, they have fought to put a cap on charter schools. But in all of this fight, I don't hear the union leadership saying to parents and communities, we will make, we will commit to make every school in New York City a quality school. What do you think are the elements that would make your school, make your schools the kind of schools that we want? Is it is it um, class size, working conditions, the physical plants that your kids walk into the the uh, physical plants of the buildings? Is it school safety? What are the issues that you guys feel? This is what I need to set to feel comfortable sending my kids into school and knowing they get the best education. We still have not heard that. I've raised that with Mike Mulgrew. Mike, you want to fight charters? Put forward our program for quality schools. Uh, to me, that that is still the number one area that they are lacking. Responsiveness. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Michael. There's so much more I want to explore with you, but uh, because of time, we can't. Thank you for... Uh, allowing me to speak with your audience. For some context about our next guest, I'm going to read a press release from Tuesday, March 28th this week. Parents Educators UFT launch court action to block co-locations of two success academy charters with Queens Public and Brooklyn Public Schools. Lawsuit claims that the DOE failed to account for state law class sizes, needs of disabled students, and more. Parents and a teacher and the United Federation of Teachers today filed a lawsuit in Manhattan State Supreme Court charging that the New York City Department of Education violated state education law and its own regulations where it sought to co-locate two success academy charter schools into Queens and Brooklyn public schools without providing an in-depth analysis of how these co-locations would affect the students already in those public schools. The city's panel for education policy voted in November and December in favor of the co-locations, but as the lawsuit says, the DOE has misled parents, the public, and the PEP itself regarding the actual impacts of its proposed co-locations, including both schools' ability to comply with impending requirements of the new class size law. Attorneys for the United Federation of Teachers were joined by the legal action by Advocates for Justice Legal Foundation, along with the teacher and parents of children from the affected schools. The schools involved include Waterside School for Leadership in Far Rockaway, Queens, and Sheepshead Bay Educational Campus that is home of Origins High School, Professional Pathways High School, and New Visions Charter High School for the Advanced Math and Science. As the lawsuit maintains, there is nothing in the educational impact statements produced for these pro proposed co-locations or in the instructional footprints upon which they are based 
that ensure or even analyze whether there should be sufficient dedicated spaces for students with disabilities to receive their mandated services after the co-locations occur. The parties seek an injunction to prevent the co-locations from occurring until and unless the DOE complies with the requirements of education law to provide the impacted students, parents, community, and members of the panel of educational policy with specific information about major changes to their school space and how these changes will impact education of the existing and prospective students. And I'm on the line with Estelle Durancy. She is the PTA president at Waterside. Welcome, Estelle. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, I wanted to ask you, I know you've gotten involved in this suit. Could you tell us how you got involved um, and why you got involved in this fight to block uh, these co-locations by Success Academy? Well, <clears throat> after we've met with the uh, Board of Ed, uh, district planning and space planning, we were told that we, our school um, would retain a certain space, certain classrooms, and later after uh, the vote and they sent us the, um, the Board of Ed sent us the EIS and it was a completely different um, narrative. So the PTAs here, you know, we're advocating for our vulnerable and marginalized children who e essentially will be excluded uh, from many opportunities. So we're standing up for uh, students that charter schools typically dismiss and deny access. So that's one reason, the main reason we're standing up. And so I, I have a, a pretty good idea of how these educational impact statements are. Being that I, I am very linked to what's going on with Waterside, my school, MS-53, is, is currently housing temporarily the middle school that it, Success Academy has that will, um, was supposed to um, go to, to Waterside. And we've seen these educational impact statements, and that's been part of the fight as well. Um, can you tell us how this is going to impact your school more directly? I know there's a science lab and some other items that this impact statement did not address. Well, mainly, uh, their Success Academy's uh, school starts at different times from Waterside School, and their classes end differently. Uh, at a different time period. So uh, when we use our, when Waterside School for Leadership uses uh, um, uh, the lunchroom, the auditorium, the gym, science lab, Success Academy uh, would still be, uh, would still have their, their, their school. Uh, they will, they'll be conducting classes. So we'll have after school and they'll have classes. So we need to use this space. They'll, they'll be in our space. So that's, there's, there's, um, it's not jiving. So that's, that's not going to work. The, um, the Board of Ed did not work that out, uh, with our, uh, school, the Waterside School for Leadership. And I understand that as part of this suit, one of the biggest claims, um, that the litigants are making is that they did not, they did not factor in the new law for uh, for class size 
and that right now Waterside already has some needs and it's it, it's already um, working on space to make sure that it can address the needs of special needs students and other interventions. Absolutely. Um, so uh, it, it definitely will deprive the school of, of space needed for lower class sizes in the future and that um, the co-location will take away uh, our science lab and um, Success Academy knows that, uh, but they don't care. The Board of Ed knows that. And obviously they don't care because in their EIS, they clearly state that they're going to bring in and allow Success Academy to bring in uh, their fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth and seventh grade students. But during um, our meetings with them last year, um, uh, DOE, space planning and district planning told us that they were not. Uh, only about 200 or 300 students would come. But uh, later on, we learned that more than 400 will come. So we were told lies and that has to stop. So we want the um, this pet vote to be reversed. That's why we took it to court. Yeah, we, we saw similarly, we've, we've had these battles at, at, at Far Rockaway, um, MF53, with Success Academy. We, we house their elementary school and their middle school. Okay, I just want to make something really clear. We're not against charter schools. We just don't agree too much with co-location, especially Agreed. co-location that does not um, work with our schedule and work with our uh, students and schools. So... And if it's going to take away services, funding, you can't be in our environment because you're already taken away from what we have. So you're going to do it right in our space. Yeah, I agree. I feel like one of the things that Success Academy has refused over the years is to, um, they, and they are afforded this, They're, they have the ability to get funding for their own space, but they've they've rejected that. And for whatever reason, have have taken a model where there's co-locations. And as you said, there seems to be a lot of competition for uh, resources. And it does affect our children. It, it affects. Absolutely. They have this swarming mentality where they want to come in and colonize. You know, it's not uh, it's not really coexistence. It's really to colonize and take over. And people, parents you know, they're sick of it. They don't like it. Every other charter school can have its own building, building its own schools, um, have its own facility and compete. I'm all for competition. We're all for competition. But why do you have to come into our space and take away from what we have? That's that's not good. And, you know, they did promise um, some of the school leaders, oh, we're going to bring in money and this and that. I didn't trust it when I first heard it, and I still don't trust it. Nobody gives you money for anything. You oh. have to give something back. Sure. Uh, and they're not going to give you money. They'll build for themselves. In our experience, that, that's been pretty much it. We have gotten some matching funds, but when it's all said and done, um, there is this, and I, I, I call it a toxic um, situation where comes haves and have nots and I worry that it, it divides our communities especially in the peninsula and unfortunately we should be fighting for 
community schools, schools where all of our children are being serviced. One of the things we've noticed over at uh, MS53 is that they uh, Success Academy often does not service or as many um, students in transitional housing, students with IEPs, um, ENL students, as far as their their percentages don't match what um, our community schools are doing. There you go. Therein lies the racist thinking. If it's not going to benefit, uh, if a system is not going to benefit all of us, then it's not for us. So they that needs to stop. Absolutely. Stop and revisit it. I'm with you, Esther. One one of the things I said as as um, SLT um, chair at my school is that uh, I, I feel that they need their own building, they need their own space, and even when um, some were saying, "Well, at least they'll, they'll go to another school," I said, "Well, that other school is going to feel the brunt of the scarcity model that that makes um, communities compete for resources, and, and it shouldn't be that way." Exactly. I mean, why is it that the black community is always forced to be, uh, it's always forced to fight for every little scrap, every little thing. We have to fight for every little thing and fight each other. I I, I don't understand. It's it's beyond my comprehension. Maybe Moskowitz can explain it. You know, she's worth more than nine digits. Build schools for your 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 community. You, she started Success Academy. Build schools. You have enough money. You know, I, one of the expressions I've heard and I and have stayed with me and resonated is that all systems are are intentional, and I'm worried that that this is very much intentional. But I am so thankful to hear that there are parents that are that are standing up, and uh, this suit seems to be very very important. I know that. You are asking for an injunction. What What is the desired result uh, from this lawsuit? Well, to reverse this uh, pep vote that was not fair. Firstly, the Department of uh, uh, Space Planning, uh, you know, that's part of DOE, Department of Education and District Planning, uh, outright, you know, manipulated the whole situation. We were not for it or against it. Our principal was on maternity leave. So they waited for her to go and leave and snuck in there and came up with different plans for the school. No, it was during COVID, A. So during COVID, nobody, you know, we didn't get to meet each other. We didn't get to communicate. The parents, you know, some didn't speak English. So it was completely unfair, the whole situation. So we did talk to the uh, DOE about it. They just told us, well, if, you know, if we have a few parents, that's enough. Uh, you know, like in church, one or two meet. Huh? There you go. You have church. <laughs> so uh, it was completely unfair and not, you know, in line with educational law. You know, they tell us one thing, turn around, and there's a whole different ball of game. So that's that. That needs to be thrown out for lies. Yeah, and I understand that this the suit is really saying that uh, education. Yes, absolutely. It's cut and paste. Same thing you find in your EIS and every other EIS is the same thing. And they will, and it says, all of them say uh, they expect Success Academy to come in from with their K through or fourth grade through seventh grade and they will take over and swarm. We're going to make space for them. Meanwhile, the other school can't grow. How are you supposed to grow if you don't have space to grow? That's how we're, that's, that's unfair. 
Yes. And um, racing. And you spoke about shared spaces, and that's so important. You're talking about auditoriums. You're talking about gym spaces. Our children need, yes, they need their academics, but they also grow as as whole human beings as, when, when they're involved in the arts, when they're involved in athletics. And to, to have that taken away or limited, to me, is a travesty. Absolutely. Uh, children need... Uh, our students need, you know, rigorous programs that are relevant to their lives, and they need to build relationships with each other and and with their teachers. How can they do that in a cram cramped classroom? It's not fair. It's not legal, and all of that needs to be revisited. If some schools want the collocation, that's on them. But we don't want it. What is that school for leadership? Don't want it. So I understand it's also another school in Brooklyn. And I also understand there there's a teacher that has also filed suit. And also, I'm glad to see that my union has also filed suit along with Advocates for Justice. Right. These are, um, uh, this are underhanded way for, you know, the charter schools, the mayor, all these officials, elected officials to undermine unions. If you have uh, uh, teachers that are not part of uh, the union, they're not part of the pension system, the state doesn't have to pay into it, then, um, yeah, more schools, you know, they don't have to pay someone pension after he or she retires. There you go. More, more, it's a cheap way of getting uh, out of paying uh, for somebody's retirement benefits. That and and one of the things we, we are also seeing with Success Academy some of the other charters is that a lot of their teachers are, are not certified and not highly qualified. And so, um, yes, there's drill and kill for state exams and there are some results, but uh, I, I guess the question still is. So um, they can hire um, uh, someone who, 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 who does test prep classes at, let's say, uh, Stanley Kaplan. There, there's your teacher. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not the same thing for sure. Hmm. One last one last thing that you want the audience to know before we close out. Well, we want you to contact our elected local elected officials and our mayor and um, the chancellor uh, and David Banks to inform them. Like enough, enough of these charter schools, especially co-location. I I I agree with uh, uh, you know. Uh, People um, um, working, uh, you know, to better to have better um, education for our children, but not at the expense of our children. Not to take away from what little bit we have. So definitely contact your mayor. Just say enough. Enough of these co-locations. Uh, if you want to compete, fine. That's great. But we don't want you to undermine our children's future. That's what it is, basically. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, Estero. What you are doing is very important. It's vital. Thank you for uh, raising your voice and thank you for your standing up. Thank you. You too. You're doing a great job. Take care. Take care. And so that's all we have time for t- this evening. I want to thank you listeners for joining us today. I want to thank um, our guests. I want to thank Michael Schulman, Estero Durancy for joining us today. And I want to remind our listeners that it's vital that you uh, donate to WBAI, that you become a member. 
of the WBAI family, please make a donation at 212-209-2950. Again, that number is 212-209-2550. We need the support of people like you to keep going as one of the only non-commercial, purely membership-supported radio stations in New York City that doesn't run ads. There is no other show on the air that really delves into the controversies that are affecting our public schools in New York City, like talk out of school. And so we would appreciate if you make a donation in our name. Uh, You can also easily donate online at WBAI.org. We will be back with another episode of Talk Out of School. But as always, my family, mi familia, please remember that love always wins. Talking about a revolution sounds like Don't you know we're talking about a revolution it sounds like a whisper while they're standing in the welfare line?